this interview was supported by an unrestricted educational grant from Beatrice. Beatrice had no role in the selection of the topics or the selection of the speakers and has not vetted or reviewed the content of any of the interviews. The views expressed by speakers are their own and may not necessarily represent the views of the IMS. Hello, I'm Dr. Marla Shapiro, and today I'm joined by Professor Fauser from the Netherlands, and we're going to be talking about PCOS. Firstly, can you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your work? Hello, good day, uh, dear colleagues. Uh, my name is Professor Bart Fauser. I'm from the Netherlands. Uh, I'm a professor emeritus in obstetrics and gynecology. My focus has been mainly on women during reproductive lifespan, uh, but more and more around PCOS, but also around other ovulatory dysfunction conditions. Uh, we and many others and many other professionals are looking into potential long-term health implications, which is going to be the topic for today's discussion. So let's focus on PCOS. We know that it's prevalent, but often it's not diagnosed. So firstly, let's talk about your advice on how we would diagnose PCOS. Yeah, the diagnosis of PCOS, let's uh, start with a statement that it's a polycystic ovary syndrome. It's a syndrome which is not a single gene, single symptom condition like other uh, uh, disease conditions. So it is heterogeneous by definition. Uh, uh, and uh, um, for about 20 years now, what is globally accepted, uh, maybe with some minor exceptions, is that the Rotterdam criteria are generally used for to diagnose PCOS. And this is based on a, a, a consensus meeting, which I organized in Rotterdam, where I, I used to work. Uh, and this has been, at that time, this is, goes back to 2003, has been replacing the 1991 NIH criteria and this Rotterdam criteria has later on be embraced by NIH. Uh, and it means, uh, or, or this goes back to three key hallmarks uh, relevant for the diagnosis of PCOS, the polycystic ovaries or the polycystic appearance of ovaries, uh, originally based on ultrasound, uh, but now more and more also diagnosed by uh, a ovarian hormone, AMH, anti-malarian hormone, uh, this next to hyperandrogenemia, so elevated signs, biochemical or clinical, of elevated androgen levels or exposure, and, and thirdly, irregular uh, periods, uh, amenorrhea or, omen, or oligomenorrhea, so also related to ovarian dysfunction. Okay, so let's talk about the long-term health implications of having PCOS. Yes, this is... Um, a topic which which gained increasing interest and and it still is over the last two decades uh, the primary focus in 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 healthcare on pcos was by gynecologists faced on short term uh, uh, problems like irregular menstrual cycles uh, and associated infertility so this was just a, the short term focus now more and more there is interest from diabetologists internal medicine metabolic uh, vascular medicine uh, cardiology uh, geriatry uh, uh, focusing on long term health implications of this prevalent condition 10 15 in some areas in the world 20% of all women uh, 
uh, can be diagnosed with this condition. Uh, so there's increasing interest, uh, but the data are not so very clear. Overall, and the meta-analysis uh, that are being performed showed a slight increase in long-term health uh, risks. So if we look at the evidence for those long-term health, health concerns, what is the evidence like and what specifically are we concerned about? Yeah. The evidence that there's going to be an updated global PCOS lines, uh, uh, guidelines going to be released very soon. And there it is stated there that there is a significant but modest increase in several outcomes, uh, outcomes like myocardial infarction, uh, outcomes like stroke, uh, and outcomes like longevity. But again, this is still a matter of a debate, and still there are quite some studies uh, that are unable to demonstrate such a difference. Uh, but overall, again, and based on consensus and meta-analysis, where all published studies are included, uh, the general consensus is that there, there is an increased risk. So are there specific risk factors that we should be looking at that you know, really are important for these long-term health concerns? Because these are significant long-term health concerns. Yes, there are specific risk factors uh, which are not so very different from the general population. Obesity is a clear uh, uh, risk factor. Uh, insulin resistance and, and later on type 2 diabetes uh, is a clear uh, risk factor. Again, those two are common in the general population. What is not so common is that in, in metabolic dysfunction at a younger age uh, and later life health risks, are clearly associated with hyperandrogenemia. So there is a close association between uh, elevated energy concentration in these women and uh, increased cardiometabolic risk at later life. So it's interesting that I, I don't think we can focus that much on primary prevention as much as we're really focusing on secondary prevention um, of these conditions that you're talking about. So when we talk about secondary prevention and, and really you talk about really a global span of physicians in multi-differential healthcare specialties that this is impacting on, what should we be focusing on? Yeah, I think at this uh, um, stage, uh, some reservation is, uh, is uh, needed. Uh, uh, it is interesting when you look at, there are different, uh, uh, global uh, organizations, associations that focus on this, uh, the European Endocrine Society, the American Endocrine Society, some OBGYN societies, uh, uh, and organizations like uh, the IMS, uh, and they all come with different recommendations, uh, which for me makes it very clear that we do not really know. Uh, what what uh, What is recommended is uh, more frequent uh, uh, checkups of women at risk, but this what this more frequent means is not really well defined. Does that mean yearly, once every two years, once every five years? Should we do this in all women with PCOS or only in a subgroup at increased risk, as we mentioned, uh, especially the obese, insulin-resistant, hyperandrogenic? Uh, and then what do you assess uh, yearly or every two years uh, all the metabolic dysfunction parameters uh, uh, OGTT uh, of course blood pressure uh, uh, so when you compare the recommendations of the different professional organizations there's not one identical they're all uh, uh, slightly or more distinctly different uh, so for me that means we don't really know now 
here's an interesting question in terms of women with PCOS who do go on to have children. Are there implications for their offspring? Yeah, that's another um, controversial issue. Uh, also, it's not so easy to study. Uh, we can go into the details later. Uh, we've been working on this. Uh, uh, it's not surprising when you think about it. Uh, in the earlier days, uh, infertility in PCOS has been a big issue in OBGYN. Ovulation induction, now more and more uh, uh, ovarian stimulation in the context of ART. Uh, in the earlier days, the biggest problem during pregnancies in PCOS was multiple pregnancies. Uh, a very significant proportion of pregnancies induced in PCOS uh, were multiples with all the associated problems. Now, that to a large extent has been uh, solved, that problem. So now the also medically induced pregnancies are, are almost all singleton pregnancies. And now it becomes obvious. And when you think about it, not so surprising, uh, these pregnancies are more often complicated, uh, particularly there you see it again, in obese women with PCOS, in the hyperandrogenic women with PCOS, and with the women with signs of metabolic dis dysfunction. And again, that cannot be a, a big surprise, you know, when you think about this. Uh, so yes, it is clear that there are more uh, uh, um, uh, pregnancy complications and more suboptimal perinatal outcomes. Uh, but now, and again, not surprising maybe, it becomes clear that these women, uh, that these children born from women with PCOS, uh, they are, have more often signs of metabolic dysfunction, even at an early age. Uh, and then for me, it has always been the question, is this related to a genetic predisposition? Is right. it a gene? Or is it environment? Is it abnormalities during uh, fetal development uh, that induces these changes? Uh, and of course, the first thing, the genetics, uh, yeah, that's a damage done situation. So there's not much you, you can maneuver there. But if it's the embryonic environment, uh, of course, there is a lot we can do in terms of hyperinsulinemia uh, during pregnancy. Uh, there's more often preeclampsia during pregnancy. So those are factors that can be modified and influenced. Right. Is there a male phenotype of PCOS? Well, you know, we're talking about offspring. What about males? Yeah, uh, of course, when you talk about cycle abnormalities and ovarian dysfunction, uh, that's not going to work in the male. Uh, yeah. But clearly, the signs of metabolic dysfunction, uh, and it's not so well studied. Uh, there are some publications, uh, but they, they suggest that meta metabolic dysfunction is as prevalent in male compared to female offspring of women with PCOS. So the, the metabolic phenotype and the metabolic abnormalities apparently is also uh, uh, clear in the male. And it brings again, is that genetic or is that embryonic development abnormalities? Yeah, so the last question before I let you go from this fascinating conversation is whether or not we think this is an inherited disease? Um, it, it's already known for a long, long time that, that PCOS runs in families. Uh, yes. It's not a single gene uh, condition, of course. So therefore, the mode of inheritance is not so very clear. Uh, but now with big, big sample size uh, GWAS studies looking at SNPs uh, and distribution, a greater proportion of how it's inherited becomes uh, clear based on these uh, SNP analysis. Uh, and this is only recent knowledge based on meta-analysis 
of over 20,000 women uh, who, who undergone uh, a GWAS analysis. Uh, so yes, there is a genetic component to it, uh, but it doesn't listen to classical genetics. Uh, yeah, it doesn't sound like there's anything classical about this disease. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's a fascinating topic. Clearly new evidence emerging, new guidelines for us to watch out for. We'll look forward to having you back. Thank you.